Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show, Ari Rustigar. Hey, thanks for having me. Ari, great to have you here. And I love Austin, Texas. I've probably been there at least 150 times, used to have an office there in a past life. And what we wanted to talk about today is one of the trends that we're seeing. It's a recent trend. It's a reversal of almost a 20-year trend that's happening in real estate. But before we get to that, why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah, well, thank you. Well, so I, I'm actually an Austin native. Uh, I was born, born and raised in Austin. Um, and uh, you know, my joke is I kind of grew up uh, in the I-35 corridor, uh, for those that kind of know Texas, it kind of, you know, uh, connects San Antonio. You go a little north, you hit Austin, a little north, you hit Dallas. So what the, you know, high, uh, high school in Dallas and law school down in, uh, down in San Antonio, lived there most of my life before spending several years on Wall Street. For me, it, it was kind of a, a lucky, serendipitous thing that Austin has become arguably the hottest real estate market in the United States. And after spending many years on Wall Street, you know, I was kind of the Texas guy. So, you know, anytime there was any type of coverage for Texas, it ended up falling on my plate. And after my wife and I, who also uh, is an executive in the firm, decided had our second child and we realized that the future was going to be Austin. After Google Fiber in 2013 installed a billion dollars of hardware to be bring the fastest internet in the world. We saw the writing on the wall and from a standard of living standpoint, no state income taxes in Texas uh, and kind of being home. It was that confluence of events that made it so we wanted to come back home. And that's where we are and where the bulk of our portfolio is. Our investors are public pension funds, family offices, uh, high net worth individuals, insurance and co- insurance companies. Um, and in recent years, we've built a uh, very robust vintage multifamily value add platform. And that's been our focus. Although we've invested in 38 cities, 12 states, seven asset classes, and two countries. I love that. And I love Austin as a city, not just from the point of view of being a livable city. I mean, back in my technology days, you had some strong anchors in the tech industry. You had Dell, you had IBM, you had Motorola slash Freescale, Qualcomm. Uh, You had some really, really strong tech anchors. And now that's just grown dramatically. I mean, certainly a strong venture capital base with Austin Ventures. And now, of course, uh, some of the major Silicon Valley firms establishing a very strong footprint there. Apple is the most notable, building a very sizable campus. And it's just a growing city. I mean, UT has been an awesome place to go to school, very much in demand for both, for all kinds of different faculties. So it's just a great, great growing city, very livable city. And it, what we're talking about today is a reversal of a trend that has been underway for, my gosh, the last 20 years, really the urbanization of some of the most sought after, most expensive coastal cities. And in a matter of months, we've seen a reversal of that trend. Why don't you give us your perspective? Yeah, I think that's right. I think what we've learned in this post-COVID environment and during COVID is trends that were already 
kind of underway being accelerated. Okay, so I think it's important to note that although, you know, we've seen these massive changes, uh, psychological, economic, socioeconomic changes from COVID, very much of them, again, have been accelerated. And we kind of, I was joking the other day that they threw jet fuel on these things. So if you looked at California a year ago, there was over a million, I believe it's around 1.2 million people. Don't quote me on the exact number, but it's over a million people um, left California. 150,000 of them came to Texas. Okay. And so we've started to see, I think California, my wife was born in Hollywood. My sister-in-law was our chief operating officer um, is from California. And I always joke that LA and Southern California are my favorite cities to visit. There's all these wonderful things about California that have kept people there, but local government, state level government have made it so difficult to transact business, super high state income taxes, and just an unfavorable business environment. And we started to see what that exodus looks like, right? So when you look at a city like Austin, as you mentioned, a lot of folks don't know that Amazon's largest acquisition to date and Whole Foods is an Austin-based, Austin-founded company. They paid $13.2 billion. Apple, their campus with 140 acres. But Facebook's second largest office is there. Google's second largest office is there. Oracle um, has a huge office there. So to your point before, these huge Silicon-based companies have moved into Austin, not only for a standard of living, but also for the regulatory environment and a city, as you mentioned, that has live music, culture, and all the reasons that people want to be there. But I found something a little bit ironic is the, the, the top 10, the number 10 largest city in the United States was, is San Jose, California. And as of next month, based upon projections, Austin will pass San Jose as being the 10th most populated city in the United States. And so that's talking about the heart of Silicon Valley, right? So it really comes down to consumers, certainly millennials, just being a lot smarter and savvier, you know, in the way that they spend money, the way they invest money, but also having different core values, okay? So now the pandemic teaching us that we can work from home, employees are starting to ask, well, do I want to live in the shoebox in San Francisco or New York City? And trust me, I I did my time on Wall Street. My dad called it elevation training, meet all the banks and the relationships and all those reasons. But you did that because of proximity to the jobs, to these, you know, large employers. And with that allure gone and that draw gone, the gravitas to be there has also decreased dramatically. And with COVID, you're going to see a massive exodus from the urban core into the suburban area. So when you look at it at a macro level from the California, Illinois exodus, you know, into Texas and the New York East Coast exodus into Florida, because the East Coast has always been very friendly with Florida. A lot of retirees out of New York uh, end up in Florida not only for the fair weather climate, but also for the favorable tax benefits and all those things. Absolutely. There's a lot of New York accents in Miami Beach. Yeah, there, there, de- there absolutely definitely is, right? And so, again, you're talking about this younger millennial base that changes jobs more frequently than any other generation in history. So they rent more, okay? So when they're renting apartments, you know, and not buying as much, they need to start thinking about, okay, where can I get really fast internet? I'm working out of my laptop. So where can I have a better standard of living? Where can I have a lower cost of living from a value standpoint? Because I don't like the word cheap. I'm looking for better value and these certainly 
Texas and certainly even the, the Midwest, Florida, I'm using Texas because I'm speaking from a more Texas vantage point, but even within the Midwest, like cities like Oklahoma City, Kansas City, Missouri, Nashville, Tennessee, Raleigh obviously is a little bit on the coast, but again, these growing markets that you get so much more bang for your buck when you are working more from home. And I believe that exodus is just going to be dramatically increased. I read an article yesterday in the Times that there's over 10,000 recorded vacancies of apartments in Manhattan, you know, which is just an unprecedented number. So again, we're talking about a core value switch and we're also talking about a safety switch because being in the urban core, talking about elevators and gyms and public transportation and close proximity, that you're watching people leave that wanting to be on the perimeter to have the access to the urban core from an amenity standpoint, but seeing a lot of value in like vintage multifamily, which would be two-story, three-story garden style stuff where they can just have this inherent social distancing mechanism. You can walk in your apartment, up your stairs, walk out your apartment, but still have access to the urban core. So I think there's a lot of things that are happening that are furthering what that exodus is from the coast. We saw that really actually over much of the past decade. We've done a lot of development in Philadelphia, where here again, a lot of New York accents in Philadelphia. And if you work in the city and you've got a six-figure income, you've got a roommate if you're living in Manhattan, because that's all you can afford. And what we found, especially with the new high-speed rail link, you can be into Penn Station in an hour and 10 minutes. And if you're living in Philly, you live a much better quality of life for a much lower cost. And if you have to go into the city once a week, no big deal. Now, where a lot of people are making these decisions, career decisions based on uh, relationship building. So for example, if you were in Silicon Valley, a lot of people felt that if they were in a satellite office, that they were too far from the center of power in order to have influence. So they were reluctant to go to Austin, they were reluctant to go to Nashville, reluctant to go to Dallas. But today those cities have critical mass. They have achieved enough of a center of gravity that you can have a very good technology career in any of those cities without having to be Silicon Valley based with all of the issues associated with that. You, you nailed it. Yeah, absolutely nailed it. You know, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, the, and these are the questions and, and these, these are the thoughts. The gravitas is now, is now there. And it was, as I mentioned before, about that proximity. These other cities, they've hit, that, they've hit that critical mass. There's huge, and even with Tesla announcing recently they're bringing the, their uh, new Gigafactory down to Austin, what was significant about that is not only will it be the largest Gigafactory in the world, world, which is pretty remarkable thing. If you think about all the implications and all the smaller companies that support the component part manufacturing um, of what goes into the, uh, into the car manufacturing. And we saw this with Facebook when Facebook really increased their office size in Austin, all these other little companies popped up that I had never heard of um, that kind of support live on that Facebook ecosystem. Same with Tesla, same with these types of companies. So ultimately, you know, the gravitas is where even if they want proximity, they're going to want to be in, in these areas. But even without the proximity, we've become a virtual proximity culture with the advent of the Zoom and the Skypes and, you know, all these other things we're seeing post-COVID. So again, all this stuff is really accelerating. But what I'm really bullish on, you know, is the growth of the suburban, the resurgence really of the suburban areas and sprawled metroplexes like the Dallas's or Austin's or Nashville's. And quite frankly, even some of the sprawled metroplexes 
around some of the cities that people are leaving, like the core of San Francisco, going a little bit further out, going further out of LA County, Santa Clarita's, you know, some of these other little micro markets that surround these major cities. So it's much more than a COVID thing. Uh, It's about a value thing. And the consumer is just not stupid, right? So, you know, what we've been seeing on our value add multifamily platform is, okay, we develop and, you know, renovate these properties, bring the interiors to kind of class A finish outs and take it down to the studs, do a class A renovation. They don't really care about not having the pool or not having the, the gym and all those kinds of things, which would have seen would have been a knock three, four, five months ago. Now it's seen as a benefit because they can take a $5 Uber ride or a little scooter ride in Austin and be, be at the bar or be at the restaurant and be back home and have this inherent level of safety that really wasn't on the top of people's minds up until a few months ago. I love that. One of the things that we've seen as well is that of course, you know, cost of construction has gone up dramatically since a lot of those buildings were built. They might have been built at a time when hard construction costs were $60, $70, $80 a square foot. Today, you're up at $120 a square foot. So if you're refinishing something that was built 20, 30 years ago, the cost of doing that is relatively small compared with the cost of new construction. So you can do a value add for a very, very economical capital spend. You, you nailed it. it, it and it's it, it's about, you know, and you could also buy at a discount to intrinsic value. So, so it's actually twofold, right? So when you buy these properties, there's expense inefficiencies, right? Because for everything that we always look at from a strategic standpoint is just driving NOI. So it's one thing to say, oh, property land values are going to increase, appraised values and all those kinds of things. And it's all about increasing revenue, lowering expenses and, you know, finding finding those efficiencies. But when you buy in bulk also, when you're renovating hundreds of units at a time, you can get some really deep value that ultimately translates to lower rent. So if I can hit my margin of renting this XYZ apartment to an individual that's 45% less in rent than the new development across the street, but still has the same finish outs, that's the obsession with the consumer and the obsession with delivering deep value that, that we think about at Rastigar is like we, we want to we're obsessed with our consumers. Like how can we deliver better value, not from being cheap, but actual value? Because to me, I, I have a, a a stark differentiation between those words. Just because something is less expensive doesn't mean it's cheap. There's an awful lot of discussion about distressed properties coming on the market. We haven't seen it yet, much as there's been a moratorium on evictions. There's also been a moratorium on foreclosures. Now, that doesn't necessarily extend to the full breadth of the commercial market, but we know there's going to be bargains appearing on the market at some point. What's your perspective on that? Absolutely agree with you. I think, look, real estate is such a big word. So we talk real estate, we can talk about uh, residential, we can be talking about hotels, we can talk about REITs, mortgage, right? It's such a big word. So you kind of have to hone that in. So we look at commercial, we look at the asset classes within the commercial real estate umbrella, and we hone in on hospitality. Hospitality is obviously going to go through a major correction because people aren't traveling as much and for all those obvious reasons. But it depends on what chart you're looking at, right? I I always live, and my wife makes fun of me that I live, she always says, you live 20, 30 years in the future. So I'm always like assessing risk for from the longer term. And I think there's going to be obviously an adjustment there. There's a, a lot of mechanisms that are going to have to come in place, certainly from a sanitization standpoint. Um, so there is going to be some deep value 
opportunities in the retail space, in the hospitality space, certainly, and throughout other commercial endeavors. But multifamily, you know, we really see as a flight to security. And you're right, a lot of those huge, deep discounts that everyone was expecting really hasn't happened yet. And that has a lot to do with the debt maturity and has a lot to do with the forbearance that the banks are allowing some of these asset classes, these sponsors to continue to throw whatever those interest payments would be to kind of the end of the term. So we haven't seen that just yet. Um, Multifamily has actually done surprisingly well, right? So if you look at it um, at a United States level, and at this point in my career, I assess markets not only on a city-by-city basis, but almost on a street-by-street corridor basis. Sometimes the macroeconomic view, most times, is not indicative of what the value could be in a certain corridor. Like if you look at Austin multifamily and the Mueller district as an example, you can't compare that to you know uh, Los Angeles multifamily in Hollywood, right? I mean, you have to really do it on a case-by-case basis, we're seeing more people renting because they're scared to buy. So that's going to bring that in. And in some instances, certainly in Austin and Nashville, I've actually seen cap rates compress, believe it or not, in some of this uh, value-add multifamily space because the folks that want to have that real estate allocation, uh, certainly in the private markets and their portfolio, they're looking at all the other asset classes and saying, no way. I actually see it as a, as a huge flight to safety. Absolutely. Well, Ari, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? It's pretty easy to look us up. I mean, if you just typed into Google, typed in Rastigar uh, into Google or Ari Rastigar, Rastigar is just R-A-S-T-E-G-A-R. There's a ton of articles there. Our website will pop up and we've been featured in the journal and Forbes and the, the list goes on. And, you know, we're really big about education and making sure we're putting out highly substantive articles, explaining the markets, explaining our perspectives, our opinions. And uh, that education component is very, very important to us. So like I said, you could do a simple Google search. You'll be able to find us. You can go to our site or there's uh, LinkedIn pages. And in in two seconds, you you could find us. And if if you need anything, please reach out. Someone on our our team would certainly get back to you promptly. But I really, uh, really enjoyed my time with you. And I always love listening to the show. Your show is always one that I walk away and learn something. So I always appreciate that. I love it. Well, thank you, Ari, for sharing your perspective. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Ari at rastagarproperty.com and reach out to him on Instagram at, at Rastagar. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.